0: Blue blue, 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 Next question. Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Eliza Sanders and welcome to the House of Sand podcast. I'm gonna talk like this for the entire thing until now because it's too hard to keep doing that.
1: I'm, I'm really glad you're not gonna do that. That's, <laughs> cause it's much better.
0: <laughs> I just wanna sound like Lee Sales cause she's so good at podcasts.
1: Hi, my name's Charles Sanders and I am also doing this podcast. We are House of Sand and we've been wanting to do a podcast for ages. Like. When did we have this idea? When did I have this idea? Well Charlie had this
0: idea about two years ago and I was reluctant to go along with it and then a week ago I had this idea of my own accord, so now we're doing it.
1: So the reason that Eliza had this idea, or re-had this idea, which I had originally had, was that we went to the arts episode of Q&A at the pop-up globe in Sydney's entertainment quarter. This is not an ad. The whole thing was like an ad anyway this is not gonna be like that but we went to that thing and we both kind of thought that the discussion was a little bit um, how would you say
0: look we were severely disappointed
1: yeah we we're a bit disappointed we were, qu- we were quite disappointed and we work in the arts as anyone listening to this would probably almost definitely know and uh, there were lots of opinions not said there were lots of punches pulled no one really got deep into the meat of any of it in interesting ways
0: yeah look essentially it felt like an advertisement that wasn't even done well, and I found it really upsetting that an opportunity for the arts to be presented on such a prevalent forum was so disregarded. And my main thought leaving the room was, Charlie, I think you could articulate much more nuanced, interesting fecund, fecund is Charlie's favourite word. It's a good word. <laughs> it's a good word. Um, fecund responses to those questions. and. Also there was no one on that panel which was meant to be representing the arts industry who was representing the independent arts industry which makes up such a massive proportion proportion of of, the industry. So I thought first of all there's a voice missing here and second of all I have this person sitting next to me who has an incredibly articulate voice um, and has been working in the arts for many years and is also across the political goings on of the country yeah, so I thought that it would be cool for the world to hear some of his points of view, and then I'll just say some dumb shit in the meantime. Oh, are we like just wear on this podcast. Yeah,
1: it's our podcast. We Great. Do
0: so, just
1: a couple of a couple of uh, like caveat-y rhetorical things. A first up, I really want to say, like, this is no discredit to the people who were on that panel. Absolutely um, love Zinzi. She's a like emerging mate because we hung out twice <laughs> this week. Uh, we bumped into each other after that thing and then new we were friends. at Belvoir together, new friends, that was cool. So I hope we can be mates, that'll be fun. But, you know, I, I don't know Nakia personally, um, but I, I know Neil a little bit. I don't know Toby, but I'd like to, in the biblical sense. Uh, anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know Miles, but our um, our current housemate works for him. So we love those people, no discredit to them. Uh, Q&A is a really tough forum. It's a massive national audience. Yeah, terrifying. And,
0: I would be absolutely yeah. terrified. I'm terrified like, doing this. I probably wouldn't. And we might not even publish this. Yeah, I know. We'll so,
1: I mean, we probably will. Um, but maybe like six people will listen to it. Anyway, so no discredit to them and the answers that they gave. Um, and
0: as, uh, as well as our... My old personal connections to them were massive admirers and fans of their work as yeah. well. Yeah, oh yeah, that's <laughs> so thing too. Oh yeah, that's work. Kind of
1: why did why you remember work and I forgot did... about it?
0: That is very uncharacteristic of us for you to go personal and me to go work. I Maybe know. I was just yes.
1: name dropping though, that is like me. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so what we're going to do is we're basically, we're going to like pause the recording for a second, like a hot second, um, in a second. How many times do I want to say the word second?
0: You've already said it a second time.
1: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh we're gonna oh, we that was so bad that was awful we're gonna pause the recording uh and then we're gonna play the first like little bit of q and a though like, the, like intro and the first question for us not for you guys because you either saw it or you didn't say it
0: oh yeah and also you can just go and watch it on ivy because this is now an advertisement for my view. Yeah, I also, mean. Also, which we use fine to advertise because we should fund the ABC more. We should, so, we really should. Um, and we should watch
1: their programmes. So, I'm definitely cool with, you know, if you, you haven't. ABC. Yeah, and if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. Press pause, come back. Do you press pause on a podcast? Anyway, I don't know. Um, we can cut some of this shit <laughs> in and a second. If you want second. to send in
0: fun treats because you like us and you think we might be Annabelle Crabble Lee Sales, then that's great too. Also, pretty much the only podcast I listen to is Chat 10 Luke 3. Challa listens to a lot of factual good podcasts. So, maybe we should figure out a function that they can skip over when my voice is talking and just go to yours if they want like the heavy intellectual stuff and skip over your voice and come to mine if they just want absolute nonsense babbling.
1: I will email Steve Jobs, or oh, he's dead. Anyway, um what we're going to do in a second is we're going to pause the recording and we'll watch a little bit of Q&A. Then we will come back and we'll like restate the question and then we'll answer the question. In our own way or like just have a chat about it and maybe that will get some other interesting conversations started cool preamble done let's go we'll be back in a second with the first q a question the first question on that that edifying quanda episode was um how do we do shakespeare without whitesplaining or, or or is shakespeare intrinsically whitesplaining conversations around this topic to be perfectly honest basically yes shakespeare is whitesplaining If you just do the text maybe it needn't be white splaining. if you do some kind of cultural amalgam yeah it
0: feels like at this point in history there is so much space and place for those cultural amalgams like I know it sounds like an advertisement again but like that version of the pop-up globe it's quite interesting watching it again and seeing the, the Twitter feed seeing whether people were supportive understanding a little bit more what what some of the panel are trying to say, I think they believe it or not, they did actually answer this question. Sorry, I feel like I'm being mean to the panel. I'm not. Yeah, they no, they d- do. But they did, they they did answer this question in some capacity. My question I really question like is what Nikita says about um, it. Be, it, sh- it should be titled as a white classic to identify that it does come from a white cultural heritage. Yeah. yeah. Rather than that totally. being the.
1: Yeah, like the assumption is that it's a classic right, because that's that, culture, but actually it's not. It's a culture from a particular part of the world, at a particular time, and particular racial ethnic as well as cultural landscape
0: and I think what I would have been interested to hear about from them was more how and why it is a white classic that has obviously there is a number of reasons why a white classic has been able to be so much more prolific than many other writers
1: I really like the differentiation subtly that Zinzi makes between it being just a white classic and an Anglo work of art because I think that there are you know there are there are white there are cultures mostly full of white people. You know Western European cultures, Northern European cultures that are not as as dominant in our cultural landscape in the English speaking world, um, or for that matter in the global conversation because they weren't major colonialists and whatever. So I'm you know like Ibsen's big, but he's not Shakespeare. I I, I would argue that Ibsen is probably in many ways as good as Shakespeare, but I don't know because I don't speak Norwegian. You know and reading things and understanding things yeah. in translation is, is so much harder. But certainly he tells the same kind of stories that have the same, uh, not the same kind of stories, but he tells stories that have the same kind of intense, complex relationship with the human condition. But because he doesn't come from a colonialist country or a massively colonialist country, he doesn't get the dissemination no. worldwide.
0: No. I think also, like, to come back to kind of the crux of the question is he white-splaining? Well, maybe the question is: is anyone who is white who puts a play on white-splaining?
1: It's funny, actually. That I think there's another question on, it, but maybe we'll just talk about it now. Oh, okay. Two things. The first thing is, what actually is whitesplaining? Like, is because mansplaining is assuming that someone doesn't underst- like, understands less than you about a thing in the world, and then like explaining it to them based on that assumption, right? And, and that person is a woman, or, or maybe another man, or maybe a gender diverse person, but. So, so is, is white-splaining just the same thing or like can you white-splain, like you can't white-splain white history, surely?
0: Yeah, I guess, I mean, maybe it would like, be Like men way.
1: can't mansplain <laughs> prostate cancer because women legitimately don't understand prostate cancer in a, in a lived experience well, kind of way.
0: prostate doctor.
1: Oh yeah, that, well no, but that, not in a lived experience that's way. True. And then that's the thing about like knowledge, knowledge. lived yeah, experience yeah, knowledge yeah, and experience. intellectual knowledge. But, but,
0: That's true. So maybe maybe Shakespeare could only blacksplain something because...
1: No, he no, no, definitely can't black <laughs> he something.
0: Well, he can't now because he's dead. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I'm saying is you can't, like... I'm trying to agree with you yeah. with a metaphor that, that inverts it.
1: Because the, the more pertinent bit of the question is, like, when when it's talked about, when, when Tony brings up the thing of, like, Othello, is it white the coloured man's experience to the coloured man from a... Yeah, well, and that is yeah. really problematic.
0: Yeah, and, and well, then there's, there's a whole other question about that which isn't even just directed towards Shakespeare. It's towards anyone who writes anything. Can you write about something which isn't your experience? Fictional or historical or...
1: Yeah, that's a big... Do we want to open that can of worms? Which is a
0: whole bigger question. <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say, but I don't really want this podcast to go for seven and a half hours, but we'll give it a go. All
1: right, I'll try and be quick. We can cut it if we don't want to use yeah. it. I, I... think... I think it's really important that we get to a place where you can talk about, when you can tell stories on behalf of other people, some of the time, mostly because most plays only have one writer. And if you, if you can't tell stories that have major voices of other characters, then your stories are always gonna be really homogenized and the world is not homogenized. So we need to come to a place where that's okay to have multiple protagonist stories where some of the protagonists are not people that yeah. are the same as you.
0: Also, like, I frequently hear about people giving male writers shit about not writing good female roles. And again, it's the same thing. It's They get the shit about it because they're prevalent because of patriarchy, colonialism, mm. blah, blah, blah. But if we're talking about the actual substance of the art, I've never heard anyone say, oh, that chick writes bad dudes. So, and also, like, and this is kind of goes into a little bit why it's so upsetting that now the arts courses in Australia are called lifestyle courses because like the skill the skills that you learn are how to understand and nuance different people's experiences like one of the massive points of the art is to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes so if you're if the point is as an audience member come in and put yourself in someone else's shoes but don't you dare put your name on it as an author if they're not your lived experience shoes then it's like we want everyone to only be able to express their
1: thing, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I absolutely do. You know, it's a delicate balance, because of course we need representation, and and the power balances are such, uh, and and legitimate representation, and the power balances are such that, you know, we could end up with 75,000 secret rivers. Sorry, Neil, but you know, Secret River is a story that's a lot about indigenous issues, that's like major white, white, whitey, white, white all the way down the chain. And that fine in a cultural landscape that also has the Shadow king or whatever, you know, which is a, you know, all indigenous production team or indigenous right. cast, although an adaptation of Shakespeare, which i we'll to talk about later, but, um, and, and Bangara and what have you. But you need those kind of affirmative action things about getting more diverse voices into the positions of power and the major creative roles and the leading acting roles to ensure that that doesn't happen. And then hopefully by kind of two steps forward, one step sideways, we can start getting back to people being able to with good research and lots of respect and and developing a complex and nuanced understanding of other people's experiences, being able to tell those stories.
0: Well, also, like it sort of also comes to that question of not everything a woman writes should be about feminism. Not everything a black person writes needs to be about black issues. Not everything an indigenous person creates should be about indigenous issues. Can you see the parallel that I'm trying to draw? Totally, totally. Like, for
1: instance, a, 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 a prolific Australian teacher of directing who shall remain un- nameless, uh, told me at one point that I should really focus my career on on only on queer issues and like queer aesthetics and queer dialectics and queer characters and queer stories. And I was like, well, that that's such a tiny I mean it's a, it's a part of who I am. I'm, I'm queer like I'm very queer. but it's a tiny part of what I identify with as, as a human being. Um, and it's also
0: you can be something and not be intellectually that interested in it. Like, yeah. there, are, there are a lot other of elements of my personality and my lifestyle that are very interesting to other people, but to me, it's just my day to day. And the things that I'm actually interested in, maybe, you know, that I want to investigate more, are the things that I don't deal with day to day. Yeah, that and that you don't know
1: about. And I think that that's an important. We were talking about creativity earlier today, and a really good framing of creativity that I've come across is the idea that creativity is essentially a mode of learning. So. For creative people, the way that you learn is to get information from the outside world, process it internally, and then put something out. And this person, who I can't remember who it was, who, whose book I was reading, suggested that... have
0: that in the notes when he figures it out.
1: Yeah, we, we probably won't. <laughs> probably not going to do that much research. But the, the framing was that, for a creative person, the, the putting out is a part of the learning and for oh my god that
0: makes so much sense to me yeah, yeah. oh my and god school I would have done so much better at it oh wait I did do good in the creative subjects where that was the process because yeah. I have a creative mind yeah. yeah well done
1: and, and I think like if we want to understand it, like I have done an p- interesting like anecdote whatever because I can only speak from lived experience yeah.
0: <laughs> can you Charlie because you've also read a lot of books yeah well from lived
1: experience I have directed a lot of plays that have something to do with Jewish people and the state of Israel and the Jewish-Palestinian conflict and problem and, and the complexities of that. Um, but you
0: have no lived experience as a Jew. I have literally no
1: lived experience as a Jew or a Palestinian or... You're not
0: even Jew-ish. Ish.
1: And we did that little wiggly hand gesture. It was very funny. I need to cut all of the things that are just like us laughing. Because then we'd laugh at our own jokes and other people we like Makes us
0: seem fun
1: yeah, and jovial. The thing
0: is,
1: right, so back to serious for a second, <laughs> through doing those works, I have learned a huge amount about what those experiences are like. Personal and are perspectives. You're way less and you're
0: to be racist towards Jewish people.
1: Or Palestinian people. And then if you do those investigations and you do them with an open heart and you are, like, like really interested to see the humanity and the flaws in all the different perspectives on the situation and
0: obviously consult as many people as you can who have lived experience of that name what yeah totally
1: to... and in person and through literature and through you know a whole different range of things through film and t- all different media that you can get access to and personal access always the best to to people who have lived experience of that but then through that process the artist who's making that work becomes open to the possibilities of it and the common humanity that we have, you know, underlying our differences. And I think if an artist is a good artist, some element of that, some percentage of that makes its way into the work and then out to the audience in a way that opens up their mind well, as totally. well. totally.
0: I mean, I think there's also something that can be said. If, if you're a director who has no experience as a Jewish people, as a Jewish, <laughs> as a Jewish people, <laughs> as a whole Jewish people, <laughs> Directing a work to an audience of predominantly non-Jewish people, there is a perspective that you can bring to that that can help them have access to, to understanding that work. You know, because actually, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a delicate line, and I'm, you know, I'm saying that obviously you want to do it with all of the research and the empathy and the um, curiosity and investigation and rigor to be respectful and true to that culture. But if it was a Jewish person making that, then the whole experience of being a non-Jewish person and um, beginning to learn Jewish culture for the first time mm. is not part of that, because th- if all of their assumed knowledge and assumptions and all of that is like...
1: Yeah, so know. really simple example, Welcome in the bright world, which I just attraction of is about physics. And I'm not a physicist, obviously. Um, in what? any sense of the word. <laughs> that
0: explains so much!
1: But I did some like layman's research on physics and then blah 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 and did the production. And from a non-physicist perspective I was able to sit in the audience, uh, you know, in the previews and go are the audience going to get a vague sense of what this is and and curate it based on that. And, and that's true of cultural things as well as i got
0: a vague knowledge sense of, of physics. It's you know, like old, old dudes drawing shit on whiteboards and going, mm-hmm
1: stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's,
0: it's... It's the whole universe and truth and beauty. I can either go from, like, the very practical just-in-the-moment of, like, pencil on a whiteboard drawing a shape to, like, the biggest... Philosophical, I, philosophical stuff philosophical and nothing stuff in, in between. Nothing <laughs> in between. I have absolutely no, com- like, comprehension of how those two things connect in any way, shape, or form. But that play kind of made me like, oh, so there is information that's connected, but also I really like Joe's shoes, and I wonder if they're my Anyway. So um,
1: so what I want to say about the thing you said before is, like, so is it true that sometimes, like, really well educated, and I don't mean that in, like, have master's degrees and doctorates, but educated about the subject matter, you know, people who immerse themselves in the understanding of it. Yeah,
0: because only rich people can get master's degrees and doctorates these days in Australia.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, only rich people can afford to... Be artists and immerse themselves in other cultures and stuff as well. But that's a... also anyway, a whole... anyway. That's a whole <laughs> other tangent. But yeah. for those kinds of people who've done this extensive research, to do a bit of, for instance, maybe whitesplaining to not to audiences of color or of various cultural backgrounds, but to other white people, like good splaining. is that a, is that a real thing?
0: I think mean, there can be good mansplaining too, because it also makes you realize that you're a dickhead you know? <laughs> I, I think there's, there's a real place for mansplaining, because it's like, oh yeah, I'm maybe into this dude, I think he's a cool guy, and then he's like, so listen, when you get your period, this is what happens, and then you're like, okay, well, now I'm informed about this gentleman, and I do not want to have sex with him, unless he was to say, so when you get your period, I'm totally cool with that, and your body is beautiful, and anything that you say...
1: Are you saying that you want to have sex on your period? Well, I'm like, not against like the idea. I'm just saying that oh, no, like, like, I, I think men should be either. open to
0: it. Yep. I feel yeah. like you probably have no opinion on that because you're a gay. I
1: have had sex with a person who was on their period. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. bully sorry. for you. Ah,
0: for a minute I forgot about trans people. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. I mean, I forget about them. Oh, i got this bit. <laughs>
1: God. It's alright. I'm we'll going move. very
0: red and my hands are sweaty. We'll move on. I'm on, on, on your on. side. <laughs> I'm on your side. I love you. All of you. Not all of you. Not the ones that are assholes, <laughs> Because you're just people. and oh, God. on.
1: Alright, we're moving on. we um, I, I think this I'll... podcast
0: should be called How Many Tangents.
1: How Many Tangents? That's a good name. Um, yeah, let's call it that. Alright, can we listen to the next question? I'm sure we can just re-tangent back to these places. Okay, so the second question, which was kind of a joke question, but then they kind of just like warped it and made it into a conversation, um, was saying, is Shakespeare relevant to an artist? Like saying, is climate change real to a scientist? Which, you know, is a kind of, kind of jokey question. But the, like the big point that I wanted to make on this, like Neil says a thing in, the, in his response where he says, Shakespeare finds its own way of working in every culture around the world. And I, I take issue with that. I think the, the big point that they don't get to in their answers to this question, they kind of skirt around it a little bit, but get sort of within kind of pitching distance of it. Sports metaphor? (laughs) What? Who are you? I don't know. This
0: is the tribal bars of the Belly Tribe. Does that mean anything to you? No. No. Who are you?
1: They, They get within pitching distance of this answer, but I think the most pertinent thing about the relevance of Shakespeare is that is a kind of twofold thing. Shakespeare, yes, was brilliant at observing and expressing those elements of the human experience that are universal or near universal and he was he was brilliant at that as other writers have been but you know he was pretty damn good he's good enough and he was lucky enough to come from a culture that colonized like half the world pretty soon thereafter that his stories got widely disseminated and so they become a kind of benchmark But what makes them work in a variety of cultural contexts now, in prisons and, you know, different language productions, different cultural productions, is not the fact that they are brilliant, although that's a contributing factor. It's the brilliant artists now are using those works as a kind of template and a launch pad. To create new works that are essentially, like, they are Shakespeare but they're not Shakespeare. For
0: example, 10 Things I Hate About You. Shakespeare didn't make 10 Things I Hate About You. And that's my favourite Shakespeare ever.
1: <laughs> which goes to the root of Eliza's cultural capital, which is a millennial white lady's cultural capital. And that's okay too. <laughs> and it's fine cultural okay it's It is good. Also, it's a um, good field. Oh,
0: that person that looks like um, my friend in Canada. What's her name? Styles? Julia Stiles, oh, yeah, she's, she's good. Great. She's
1: a good actor. Great, okay. And the Wankery the Theatre Wain-t- example that I want to bring want to up is The Shadow King, which I mentioned yeah, a second yeah, ago, which, which is, is an and Indigenous and Australian Indigenous, indigenous quote-unquote production of, of King Lear, unquote. I did the quotes in the wrong spot, anyway. <laughs> and it and integrates, great, I think it's a production that the key is allu- alluding to in her answer to this question, but it blends some Shakespeare, a lot of colloquial Australian and... Quite a bit of Indigenous language into a story of an Indigenous mob in the top end, travelling around and that, it's really great and and because of the particular state of England at the time when King Lear is set, which is in like the 11th century or something because it's like a long, old, 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 much older story, England was a really small place and it wasn't the England we think of today, it was like basically London and surrounds or whatever, you know. And So no
0: Sussex? Sorry, I don't know where Sussex
1: is. <laughs> There's these really interesting parallels oh, across the two stories.
0: Liverpool? I
1: don't I, I, I literally report? don't know. Maybe, Sorry. I, on whether they had Liverpool or whether that was a Liverpool, good Liverpool accent. I think, that, I think like,
0: the main thing of this podcast is, can Charlie stay on track when I interject with stupid things every ten seconds?
1: And the correct answer is yes. Alright, continue. So, yeah, anyway, that was a, it was a really brilliant production, but it's brilliant, it's partly brilliant because King Lear is brilliant, and King Lear is brilliant but it's mostly brilliant because those actors and directors and creators and designers were able to make it relevant and they could probably do similarly with plenty of other writers and plenty of other artists from other cultures. Oh, totally. If well, they had so access it's to that. Way to work.
0: get funding for something which is an adaptation of Shakespeare, which is a whole other thing. So, yeah. new tangent.
1: Yeah, do we want to go on the funding tangent now? No, we'll get there. So that's where I sort of got to on that one.
0: On, anu- on another note, one of the reasons I was quite disappointed with this Q and A was, as much as I would love a platform to talk about how great Shakespeare is, this is about politics in Australia, and it was an opportunity to talk about the relationship of arts and politics in Australia, and instead it just turned into a big Shakespeare fest. Like, like it, yeah, yeah. I think like like Shakespeare. Yeah, the missed
1: opportunity was to. one
0: question about Shakespeare cool but why was half the episode about Shakespeare just to make (laughs) maybe this is a sassy way to say it and I'm not even sure if it's real but like just to make an already prevalent white guy even more prevalent no, yeah, no.
1: I never even thought of that kinda of angler. But I think one of the problems there is that it's like the week off from politics on Q and A, which they everyone needs a fucking breather. Once in a while.
0: But arts shouldn't be the week off from politics. No,
1: because exactly, because that's what I was that's exactly what I was gonna do. Because the arts are political and not only is the content of the arts political, but our artistic industry and community and our artistic landscape lives inside our political moment and that was what they didn't talk about nearly enough that we are going to talk about in a second, but let's... Well,
0: and which also it kind of comes to that thing of relevance. Why is relevance so important? Well, some great works of art we think of as really speaking to that time. Not so much theatre, because it's recreated, but music and dance and things like this. Um, well, actually, cultural dance, totally different. But music, particularly. Yeah, well, when I think theatre is... great music, we think, oh, it's an indication of that time. And yeah. visual art as well is very linear. Picasso was now, we'd be like, yeah, cool dude. You, another <laughs> dude did that a couple hundred years ago, like you know, like, like uh, less than a couple hundred years ago. <laughs> I do, know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this from the chick who's done one unit of art history. Hey, I
0: did two units of art history. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I know, I think you're exactly right. And theater is very like that. I, I think in theater sometimes, well, this is a whole other tangent.
0: How many tangents?
1: That's our theme song now. We need to do a little bit more respecting yeah. of and, and showing of the periods of history that work comes from, you know, like not in a kind of heritage yeah. sense, but I see yeah. these like, you know, kind of wrenched adaptations to try and bring classics into oh, the modern totally. age yeah. and I'm like, yeah. can I you, j- can't you just tell us that story in its context? We can draw the resonances, we learn
0: so much from history. Exactly. yeah, we and can land draw land the
1: resonances land. ourselves, like we're not, audiences aren't yeah. stupid, we can draw those parallels and what I end up focusing on in a lot of those productions, with some notable exceptions, those productions that try and modernise Ibsen or Chekhov or Goethe or. Um, I realise these are all like hyper European. You know, talking about this stuff makes me realise how kind of European my, my perspective is. But anyway. How,
0: so it's a place to launch from. Awareness yeah. is the first step. Learning
1: some more things. Um, Later, we'll
0: do a podcast about yoga. We won't. We might. We probably won't.
1: But <laughs> bringing those things into the modern era often just makes me watch all the ways they don't work in the modern era. Like <laughs> yes. all the things that are like, that would never happen now. Totally. As Like that plot device.
0: Even Muriel's wedding, the musical, was a bit of a stretch being brought forward like 15 years. Yeah. yeah. It so internet guys, whoa, we're living in the future. I don't know if this blows your mind, but we're not sitting next to you. And this isn't even happening now. And this isn't even an invention that's like modern. It's like very not modern, but it still blows my fucking noodles. It's just
1: basically radio yeah, What? <laughs> what?
0: What? Someone could talk into a thing and then you could hear it somewhere else?
1: All right, so so Eliza's confused by technology, but, but let's leave that aside.
0: 100%. If I could go into the future or into the past, 100% I would go into the past. The future seems very overwhelming. Already the present is very overwhelming.
1: Good. So that's a, that's a good topic to write down for another podcast in the future. So the next question was about what the political class can learn from playwrights like Shakespeare and characters like Macbeth. Nothing really was said that was that exciting, um, but Eliza had an interesting thought, so now she going to say it? Uh,
0: yeah, I just found it a bit like, you know, great that they had a, a young school girl asking a question. But it's, it's like, of course politicians can learn from watching plays. All humans can learn from watching plays all people learn, like that's what the arts is good for, for learning from.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of, it's a fluff question, isn't it? Oh yes, of course you can learn from the plots, and both the plots of the plays, but also the plotting within the plays.
0: But there's also something to be said from the fact that the changing prime ministership of this country was brought up, and no one on the panel, this is something that I I kind of want to criticise the panel about, because This is a political forum and that was a question that could very clearly be taken to a place to criticise the politicians of this country from the perspective of a well-respected artist and that opportunity wasn't taken. The artists on the panel could have swayed this to become much more political and critical and kind of have a bit more of that sass and pizzazz that Q&A is known for. Like, Instead, they they just went happy-clappy on it.
1: And why do you think... What do you think is important? about doing
0: that. Well, I mean, I'm not super, super cued in on on the details of it, but I know that the political political world in this country is a fucking farce. <laughs> and to be more upfront about it, to be able to say like in these plays, we saw that politics is a farce and it's really fucked up, and it's a pretty clear indication that Australia is going in the same direction as um and I, I and because I'm not particularly invested or politically minded i don't have the right language for it so i'm hoping that you can help me but it felt a little as though the artists on the panel were only able to speak about how good shakespeare was and they weren't able to say as an artist i have an intelligent a formed opinion of the politics in this country and what needs to happen and what is worthwhile to be able to speak to that to be able to speak to the problems within politics from the arts perspective rather than the the Q&A which is all about arts kind, like not just being about the arts but yeah, yeah being, being like, yeah. like there was opportunities for it and i think there's also i don't know some something about anger or activism or that was a question that could have led somewhere instead of just back to oh yes and isn't shakespeare brilliant Mm. this is the country we're living in now this is q a is happening now it's about australian politics this episode is part of a broader program which is about australian politics this is the opportunity to talk about the arts within that to talk about how the nature of politicians in this country and the way things are being run and all of this and jumping around with prime ministers, blah blah blah, is affecting our capacity to tell stories and communicate and to grow as a nation. Oh god, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Isn't it wasn't great, like, yeah, guys, we get it.
1: One of the big threads that, that could be taken is, is to make the argument that a greater engagement with the arts, with art that is political, with art that or that has a political content and that doesn't mean it has to be boring on the part of politicians and on the part of the general populace would help to create a more could help to create a more complex and fecund did it one complex and fecund debate around these issues in politics you know like a well-informed populace right. is going to be a more debating populace all of that exactly. kind of stuff which is exactly yeah. what yeah. q a is supposed to promote and it didn't, didn't do, it. do it
0: so like madly love you tony jones but was your this week all right, all
1: right let's move on
0: traffic so noisy we're we recording a... live from sydney as you can tell because traffic noise it doesn't
1: bother me I would not even notice it.
0: I have been getting more used to it since you do, staying here.
1: Yeah, you get you just get used to it, and then your brain like just just zones register it. it out. Yeah, the only yeah. time it ever annoyed me, even when I lived in this room, which is the front room. This room
0: is the worst. Yeah, I
1: this room is the worst. And the only thing that ever bothered me was the red. <laughs>
0: that one. Yeah. yeah. So we are talking about building younger audiences, which, um, as Charlie rightly pointed out, is really just all about funding, 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 funny. Funding, funding, funny, funding. Funny, funding, funny, 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 funny. Get it? Because I accidentally said funny, and that song is meant to be money. We were talking about money. Yeah, I got it. But hey, look, it just always comes back to money, which is just.
1: The question was, how do you attract younger audiences? And the answers addressed that, but they also addressed, like, how do you attract other audiences in general? Audiences that don't normally come to the theatre and there's a few things about that this was the opportunity that they really had to open up the arts funding conversation which the one thing that i think i would seriously want to actually criticize that panel about is that they didn't go there on this question it was a really obvious opportunity to go down the arts funding route in the lead up to like a victorian election and in the lead up to a federal election early next year and no one took it and well i
0: mean just the simple fact that creating art shouldn't have to be a commercial venture like maybe I've skipped ahead a bit in the conversation here no totally but like that theater companies can't focus on creating works and bringing in audiences because they're just focusing on how to make ends meet and how to do things which are financially viable so they just have to bump up the ticket prices
1: mm, and ratchet down car sizes and yeah all of that stuff and i think you know i look to there are lots of places that we can look to that have a better arts funding model than we have in australia but i always look to germany which is the one of those that i know the most about and they the audiences at german theaters are young and old and middle-aged and they are working class and middle class and upper class, all mixed in together. And some theatres attract more rich people and some theatres attract more working class people and some theatres attract younger people. But the main difference, as I can see it, is that they have had, since kind of the reunification and in West Germany before that, or at least West Berlin, they have had a culture Wherein you could go to the theatre for three euro, which well, is like you know, six a bucks fucking or whatever. Dream. And of course, you're sitting in the shitty back row seats, and yeah, you're but at, at least you're there miles. and you're part of it, exactly. And I think the whole that culture like it didn't happen overnight. Obviously, Germany had a longer history of arts engagement mm-hmm. in different ways than we have here in all sorts of other ways, but it takes a generation to foster a, a generation funnily enough. <laughs> it takes a generation to foster a arts landscape and a uh, to foster an audience engagement landscape where, where going to the theatre is just the normal everyday thing that most people do in the same way that, like being a sports fan is here. Yeah. Or, you know, like going to live music gigs is here. And that is dependent on it being accessible to people at a young age, being taught really well in schools, but it being easy for people to go on a regular basis and learn, you know, not learn like the lectury way, but learn the cultural capital and come to understand what it is to be a regular theater goer.
0: Well, also like we were raised going to the theater. So for us, that's become part of that for us. It's like, I think, you know, you've got to get them while they're young as well. Yeah, like, absolutely. That there should be so much more integration of seeing theatre and doing theatre in schools and drama and dance and music education in schools shouldn't be seen as secondary bludge subjects. Totally. But if they were respected and regarded like other subjects were, <laughs> then kids would see that as a valid and legitimate way to spend their time. And also, like, it's just such a... it's If you're a theatre lover, you know these things, but, like it's about the communities and the people that you build in the you know in this anti-social generation of anti-social media to have the physical connection with people in the space is something so special which is just Mm.
1: a lot of the comments in the feed were about um, music festivals and young audiences love that connection at music festivals and at live music gigs because they <laughs> sorry. have sorry.
0: <laughs> you just sound a bit like a young audiences they love uh, the music. Oh the young rules. people.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And then I just imagined us as those two old man Muppets that like yell stupid things. We're totally those old man. Oh my Muppets. god. <laughs> <laughs> We're already those. I'm old so man into Muppets. it. I'm so <laughs> into it. But you know, like
1: it's true. And and part of that is because they have learned about music from their peers and their peers are excited about it and they have access to it in their homes all the time. You know, they can listen to the records and whatever. At the, the, for the theatre, you have to go each and every time. You can't, like yeah. reading a play is not the same. You
0: and, can't take it home with you.
1: And you know, listening to live music is not the same as listening to recorded music, but it's much more similar. And I reckon, than reading a play and going to the theatre.
0: Oh, I just made a visual gesture. Sorry, missed it. It
1: was like one of those like, mm, I don't know about Okay, that. Maybe, maybe,
0: yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs>
1: If the young people could afford to go to the theater on a regular basis, I think there would be so much greater attendance based on that.
0: Well, like I've never, I've never once had a non-arts friend who I have then invited to something who hasn't gone away being like, "Fuck, that was awesome. I want to do more of that," but has not really known how to access it or had the means to access it
1: or actually I have had friends that have gone away going I don't know what I just saw but I think that that's partly because Megahood the wrong thing because I took them to something that I would like as a person <laughs> like, like 30 years of theater going the, the reason for that is not that they there's not a piece of theater that they would like it's finding the right one and it's also they don't have They haven't had any exposure to the cultural codes Mm. of. You know, Lynn Nakia brought this up in her answer about how foyers, you know, can be really oppressive places for people if you're not in theatres. If you're not used to that style of going about your business, or going about your play, so to speak. And I totally get that because I hate music festivals. Because I wasn't raised on music festivals, I was raised on theatres. So I like the thing of, like, sitting down and, you know, everyone having space and not sweating on each other. you know other old people things like that but it's you know what I think is funny
0: is like I'm I'm 24 I'm a young person but I feel so much more like maybe we're the wrong people to be talking about well this is the thing like when people are like how do you build a younger audience I'm like well I feel like I should know about that but because that's who I am but also there is no place I feel more at home than in a like auditorium full of white haired people <laughs> because because that's what I was that's what the theatre is and that's what I was raised on.
1: I, I certainly think that cost is a massive impediment, and the big the big conversation that I wanted to to take in this is that if you we can't have any meaningful conversation about how to attract younger and broader audiences, especially working class audiences, without talking about arts funding and a culture that doesn't see art as a basic public good that should be accessible to everyone regardless of their
0: class. You're just so obviously right and there's so much that could be said about different models of funding and why and how the Australian one is crap and how upsetting it is that it's all been cut but just like, just makes me feel so tired and exasperated exasperated. (laughs) and just like sad about my life and the prospects of, you know, the life of all my friends and loved ones because it's a thing. But I just
1: So is there, do you reckon like is there another thing that like is theater actually shit at talking to young people like to or to working class people or whatever is the actual content bad? well
0: you know again i mean it depends what you see it's so diverse but i mean i don't think that young people but maybe that's something to do with not having learned to listen that way which i think we've we've already kind of spoken mm. about that you know you, you understand how a music festival goes. You understand how Netflix goes. Like it, it takes practice and learning to be able to go to the theater and Although, be softened into it. But I don't I don't think so. I think there are I, I do think though that theater companies commission works or uh, program works that are for their subscribers <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. And their
1: subscribers are older. and their subscribers are older rich white people. And that's a self perpetuating cycle. So mm. and this is the really thing about the. The, the really I eat thing. because
0: I'm unhappy, <laughs> and I'm unhappy because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. That was probably the worst Scottish accent this, I've ever done. It was
1: tr- truly awful. Oh, fat bastard. Um, but that is that is a vicious cycle, because, <laughs> oh <God>. Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> my neck does look like a vagina. What is happening with my Scottish accent today?
1: It is a vicious cycle. When, when Sydney Theatre Company did um, Spring Awakening, I have it on good authority. Um, that they made a, a loss or they, they only just broke even or something like that on that production even though it was packed out for the whole season because they oh. had really, really, really cheap tickets for under 30s oh. and they really, really courted that market but they had no other way of subsidising that Ie government, ie philanthropy, ie corporate. That meant they could make those tickets that accessible and still actually make money on the production. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, and that's exactly the thing that the arts isn't a capitalist enterprise.
1: It's just anathema to market forces. Like, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. The Pop Up Globe is a good e- like is a good example. Pop Up
1: Globe is a really good example of how you can make theatre
0: commercially successful, commercially
1: viable. But not all theatre, you know, and there is commercially viable theatre. Obviously there's, you know, commercial musical theatre. Yeah,
0: but where he needed to go with that was the reason we were able to make those tickets so cheap is because we had this and this and this funding or we had this and this and this long seasons. Like, that's the information I want. Yeah, and these how kinds is of it possible, resources. Yeah, yeah, how is exactly. it possible to have those tickets be so cheap?
1: Well, and I think the other thing is, you know, like there are... It, it seems evident that if we would have exposed the arts in general to truly a truly market-based kind of economy, then most of the work that we as a culture purport to see as really really valuable and the the work that is commercially viable is pretty homogeneous very white very middle class yeah. you know all of this stuff and and we're told as a culture as an arts culture that we need to have diversity and, we, and all of these things are good mm. but those that kind of work that pushes the boundaries of and i'm not just talking about diverse casting like i'm talking about diverse practice as well diverse mm. casts are, are commer- as commercially viable as any other cast but diverse practices and diverse styles of work that stuff needs time to integrate itself into the culture mm. and if we think of Ourselves. Well, I mean, it
0: brings us back to the fact that the Pop-Up Globe, yeah, they're able to sell those cheap tickets, but it's a fucking old white dude just coming back yeah. to the whole first conversation yeah, that exactly. he had to be he had to be that prevalent and from that gender and that culture and blah, blah, blah to be yeah. able to sell I, those tickies.
1: And I think if, if we believe that the development of a, a cultural conversation in the arts is a, a human good, a, a societal good, then we have to treat it like other societal goods that we remove from the market economy you know we say health is too important to expose it to market forces most of the time so we have public we have public health care and <laughs> then if you choose to you can get extra cover for like bonus stuff you know having good teeth for yourself i mean i think dental should be on healthcare. but anyway whatever and,
0: but and how the same many tangents education, it's no like, sorry too many tangents
1: oh yeah we changed the title in the break we took a break it was 24 hours long it's tomorrow
0: too many tangents because alliteration that's the right one right
1: yeah but also you know we asked the question in the first half of the episode and then we answered it
0: how many tangents is too many tangents
1: the first question is how many tangents and the answer is
0: too many too, tangents, too many tangents.
1: <laughs> anyway i think it's good other... to have an
0: answer as the title for the podcast because there's so many unanswerable questions in this world yeah
1: we're ma- making a um... wee contribution to answering Well, also, I foresee that
0: most of this podcast will just raise more questions and not answers, so at least we should have an answer in the title. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: The other thing, just really quickly, that I wanted to bring up on that whole question of funding is the indie theatre thing. This was the question in which both Zinzi and Nakia pointed out they've spent pretty much their entire careers working in at a main stage level, in mm. main stage theatre. Toby started out in indie but he you know, now does mostly main stage and kind of comes back as the celebrated golden child. Neil has been in the institutional world for almost all of his career and I don't really know about Miles. He's now the leader of a big, big institutional mm. theatre. And one of the things that is missing from the conversation when there's no independence on there is the look and the diversity of independent audiences they are so much younger yeah and they are so much more diverse and they are so much more working class and obviously, well our
0: shows are $25 people can come to them yeah we we don't have to be like oh my god look our shows are only $30 those are the cheap tickets like bitch those are the expensive tickets to our shows
1: yeah, well, and this is, I think, is part of the problem is, okay, so the independent, independent sector, there's heaps more we can do to attract more diverse audiences, younger audiences and working and no class audiences as well. Absolutely. Like, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it is also true that it's much, much more diverse audience base. And a big part of the reason for that is because it's so much cheaper. Yeah, sure, yeah. And the reason it's so much cheaper, and this is my big mic drop bugbear, <laughs> is because the artists many of whom are just as professional, have done just as much training, have spent just as much money getting trained, Mm. are just as good in their own way as main stage artists, and who have chosen in many cases to stay in the independent sector indefinitely. I'm talking about people like Dino Artis and Kerry Glasscock, who actively don't take opportunity to work on the main stage. Those people are you know, brilliant professional artists, and the reason that the tickets are so much cheaper is that the artists are not getting paid a living wage and that is the the full catch 22 of the whole thing because the economy rests on there being both the economy of the arts and the ecology of the arts rests on there being all of those layers of the arts uh, you know main stage and then the kind of middle tier funded by the four to six year bracket companies and then the independence artists working across those different realms and up and down through those realms and audiences cross pollinating their experiences if you wipe out the independent sector which is slowly happening, I kid you not, across this country
0: the other two
1: suffer so so much from the loss of fertile, to use the ecology metaphor, fertile artists and fertile audiences
0: yeah, she, yeah. And well, also like if I've got like one or two good well-paid gigs a year if I'm super lucky and in between time if there wasn't independent badly paid work for me to be doing, I would just not be practicing. So then I wouldn't have the skill level to go and do Yeah,
1: exactly. You would loo- you, you lose the you skill. You lose your skills. And those skills, you know, actors keep, who work at gotta the gotta Sydney thing. Practicing Company.
0: them. Like yoga.
1: Yeah, actors who work at the Sydney Theatre Company might do two, three shows a year, which is fantastic. They can probably live on that. But if the independent producers aren't supported to make the work that they then do for maybe less than equity, but, I mean, preferably, like, something you can just about live on, for the rest of the year, where are they keeping themselves show fit? You know, I mean, especially in a field like dance, but obviously it's ha- theatre ha- as well. Ha! So, anyway, that would be... I feel good. like maybe
0: we should get someone on this podcast who doesn't just agree with, I mean, like... You just, just yeah, but this is our it. like
1: intro episode, so
0: we'll, <laughs> Okay, cool. Like
1: we'll get some other people on, but then again, maybe not. Do any
0: tangents?
1: Anyway, let's look at another question. Oh
0: lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. Is too high. Worked hard <laughs> all my lifetimes, no help from my friends. Oh do not you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No,
1: no. Yes,
0: no. You're not the Lord!
1: Oh, sorry. Um,
0: Every time I look at you, I don't understand. Because Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah got um, it. Got it. Uh, We just listened to the next question, which was about building more theatres.
1: Yeah, and maybe building, a, building an egalitarian s- style of theatre. Um, which the, the, the Globe purports to be. It's actually, I would point out, The Globe is not an egalitarian style of theatre. Yeah, well,
0: also, yeah. let's, like, move forward a couple hundred years and be like, oh, yeah, immersive art where people, like, walk around in the same room as you. Do you know yes,
1: that well, is? that was what I was going to say. So two things. <laughs> that is one of them. Uh, the Globe is not an a, a egalitarian style of theatre at all. It's a fairly democratic style of theatre because there's, you know, different lots of different perspectives. But actually, it's pretty clearly hierarchical. The poor people stand on the ground for cheap, the actors are above them and then the rich people sit up above them. Like it's a very hierarchical theatre, <laughs> so someone should have probably pointed that out. But I understand their point about different styles of theatres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, and and Sydney is actually while it doesn't have lots of big Victorian theatres, big kind of trad sit in the dark theatres, you know, Pros Arch style. It well, actually has. says
0: Prosarch, I just can't I can't not think prostate. So from now on can we refer to them as prostate theatres?
1: I mean between you and me, sure, but I think other people find it weird.
0: Cool. Anyway, so Prostate Theatres,
1: prostate theatres. <laughs> Sydney actually doesn't have a lot of Prostate Theatres It's got mostly, re- like legitimately egalitarian theatres or if not egalitarian then democratic in the way that they're like Greek amphitheaters actors a down mm. on the floor and the audience are up and around them Belvoir, Griffin, The Eternity Playhouse, Wolf One are all these kind of theatres which are some of the major major theatres here they're mm. not the biggest theatres but they're some of the most best attended theatres and best subscribed. So I wonder about that. I just think, you know, there are there are lots of various theatre spaces that are in you, that are currently in you. It's like Sydney's obsessed with the democratic corner stage, like Belvoir, you know, I mean, where the actors are down low and the, the audience are on the corner. Yeah that's like every second theater in sydney looks like that
0: well i mean also there's just we mentioned before there's so many shows where the audience is just walking around amongst the performers and like there's so much more of a space for that if bum, 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 more people who made those kinds of shows have funding
1: and this comes back to also the the slight bug there of not having an independent voice on the panel no one thought to speak to alternative or immersive you know the que- the question included the word immersive and no one Not even Neil, who directs the Adelaide Festival, which has a lot of immersive work in it. Because it's not what he makes in his own directing practice, none of them thought to bring up the fact that there are thousands upon thousands of immersive theatre works created around this country. Maybe not thousands, but like... Definitely hundreds each year that people are, you know, not aware of because they're under-resourced and they don't have the marketing budget So you know, there's a pop-up thing We come
0: back around to the same problem The dollar bill There's
1: a pop-up show down in Newtown somewhere that's like uh, sort of similar in style to Sleep No More, which is that big kid in New York And, you know, the truly immersive theatrical experiences that Aren't just people sitting in the dark in different configurations. Which, you know, like I love sitting in the dark, but yeah. change is as good as a holiday. So it was Bitch's point that no one brought up that Clearly. kind of stuff. Is that all you gotta say about that?
0: Yeah. Not done yet. The question, like, totally was leading them to be like, yeah, fuck you, government is spending way more money on sports. Why is there so much money being spent on sports? That's enough to fund, like, 10 theatre companies. Like, to draw some equivalence there between the amount of money that's being spent on sports and the amount of money that's going into the arts. And nobody took the bait and it was like delicious big hot ready bait for a bacon munchy munch. That's you all.
1: did a full hormone monstrous. Yeah. Uh, bubble
0: baths. bubble baths. Is that legit though? Or is yeah, that yeah, just totally. me?
1: Totally. It was yeah. I reckon the question was primed for that and they didn't take it. So called on it, guys, do better. booty,
0: blue booty, blue. Bloop. Next question.
1: The next question we actually did a double header we did two oh, did they were we? on the same topic yeah, oh, yeah the yeah, first yeah. one was about neil's production of the long thought and dream and it was sort of another whitesplaining question yeah, whether not. whether white directors could really tell indigenous stories and what different responses the questioner said she had loved, and the audience that on the day she was there had loved Long Forgotten Dream, but it was that it was a very wide audience. And then the second question was about whether we need a national indigenous theater. And I had another really conversa- interesting conversation about this today. I don't know whether you were there, mm, but anyway, I, so. I did. It was about this concept of whitesplaining. And given the current creative climate, you know, like uh, A. Florence Sumner, Rip Neal and a bunch of other people to shreds over the Long Forgotten Dream, and I didn't see it, but in that particular context, given the company that it was commissioned for, I believe it was a commission, I'm not 100% sure of that, but anyway, given the company that was presenting it and the fact that we are in the current climate where the Sydney Theatre Company's audience is really white and really old and really middle class, I came to the conclusion in this conversation today that there is probably some benefit in there being a kind of cultural conduit Someone who understands and has done the research, but knows how to communicate it to the audience that has their lived experience.
0: Yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah,
1: so I thought that was that's interesting in regard to Long Forgotten Dream. And the other thing that's worth pointing out in regard to Long Forgotten Dream, because I don't care anything about anyone... Is that I think like I just don't care if people think I'm an asshole. Is I think I feel like Zinzi and Nakia might have had interesting retorts to Neil on that question. If A, it'd been opened up to more of the floor, but also if B. H. Lawrence Sumner hadn't basically said in that article that he wrote criticising the production that Indigenous women had allied themselves with the white patriarchy and subjugated themselves to the white patriarchy instead of having a proper and correct traditional relationship with the Indigenous patriarchy. That's basically what he was saying. I mean, I'm paraphrasing wildly, but that was how it read at the very least. And that's a really problematic statement for him to be making there. There's a lot in there. He kind of showed himself in the foot when he brought those two issues together. I don't know if that's put a kibosh on the conversation or if the conversation would have been more interesting if it had been about Secret River, but then again Secret Rivers wouldn't like white protagonists even though there's a lot of indigenous issues in that.
0: Well, the question was about the relationship with the writer as well, that the writer distanced himself from the production at one point. Was well, so You're missing something? No, that's
1: Laura that's that's H. Lawrence Summer, who was yeah the guy who wrote this article saying right, right, right. he didn't like the production but he also kind of went on the attack about some fairly prolific indigenous female writers like Nakia and and Jada Alberts
0: right.
1: and how they had aligned themselves with essentially what he saw as white theatre companies.
0: Hmm.
1: So anyway, the question of an...
0: Indigenous um, theatre company, great idea, let's do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no Although, questions, let's do it. Would it be better, do you think, I wonder if it might not be better to have Stronger quotas around Indigenous storytelling In just in the general theatre companies Like if you separate out the Indigenous
0: I do wonder about that a little bit Because we've got in dance There's Bangara And there's a lot of people that work
1: Does the rest of the dance community Feel like it's no longer their responsibility To hire Indigenous dancers And to present work by Indigenous choreographers Because Bangara exists
0: I don't know But that could possibly be uh, an effect of it but then at the same time, those Indigenous choreographers definitely have platforms to show their creations, so if other companies do want to hire them, they know the kind of work they're making. And they've seen them perform <laughs> as dancers as well. I think that if it was just about quotas for other theatre companies, there would be a lot missing in terms of the culture of the company at large.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's totally because,
0: true. Because I've never been to Bangara but everything I hear about it is that the... The culture and environment there is is very different to all the other companies in Australia mm. in terms of how they communicate with each other and.
1: Yeah, well, and this is interesting because I think there are differences. There are differences not just in the stories that are told, but also in the way that work is created across cultures and between cultures.
0: Yeah, wasn't this something you were saying the other day about diverse casting and it being the right person with the right skills, essentially, but that the background and the information that. People have from different.
1: Yeah, I, I remember the conversation. What I was saying was what often happens with diverse casting is that people, directors usually, decide they need to have a diverse cast and then they just look at people's skin colour and they make sure that there's three different shades of colour mm. and three different, you know, continents of background in the cast. They don't look with a close enough eye at whether those people have the skills to do the thing that they want them to do or embrace the fact that if you know it's one thing if you cast an upper middle class asian australian or african australian person and they went to school here and they went to NADA and or wherever and they have a similar kind of cultural capital to their white peers and then you ask them to do a very white kind of style show But it's really different if that, if it's a person who grew up in a remote indigenous community or like when we went to work with the students at ACPA when I was at NIDA, which is the Aboriginal Centre for Performing Arts, many of them don't have a great deal of developed skill in Western acting, which is, you know, coming back to one one of the things Nakia says really early on on in the episode, it's not the only form of acting, it's Mm. our form of acting. They're great actors in a style that comes from their culture and if you want to have truly diverse casting you want to what you should be seeking to do is either accept the fact that what you're actually seeking is diverse representation of the way that people look and that's admirable in our society as well because there are lots of people who are raised in kind of Western styles of life that are not white so that's totally legit but there are also people who have different upbringings and different cultural capital. And if you're not going to make a production that honours that cultural capital, then don't cast those people who then look like the poorer actor Hmm. for not doing as good Western acting in that piece of theatre.
0: Yeah, I guess it's kind of, it's similar to what What's Her Name says in Why I'm Not a Feminist. What's her name?
1: Jessica Crispin.
0: Yeah, Um, in the, the, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot, but... (laughs) That women moving into high-power jobs are having to adopt the behaviours and ways of working of men.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, by forcing actors to adopt the ways of acting and the ways of performing and telling their stories of white people, you actually are, you're actually actually doing more to erase that culture than to integrate
0: it. Mm. And by in saying, some cases, I mean, you know, like you this, have to have indigenous people or, you know, numerous people of colour in any production, instead of going, here is a platform for people of colour to be leading the way in creating either productions based around their culture or any story that they happen to want to tell. But just the fact of the matter is that they are the ones telling the story through their method.
1: Yeah, and that they are the leaders of every at every creative level of that an institution. And I think that's really important too. Like When we were looking to recast Revolt, I talked to a number of people about various actors and an Indigenous actor's name was suggested to me. And the person who suggested that actor said to me, it's important to recognise that this is an Indigenous actor and that cultural demands will arise, cultural needs will arise, that wouldn't arise if it was an actor who was white or probably from any other culture, in the same way at least. And it was things like mob business or family business that can come up, you know, at short notice, and that the responsibilities to which are huge within that culture. And also things like having ensuring that there is a welcome to country from an indigenous person, because obviously this was a Adelaide-based indigenous person who would have been coming onto Eora land. The Ghana person, I'm not sure if she's Ghana, Anyway, she's Adelaide-based, coming onto Eora land, and she would have required a welcome to country, and rightly so.
0: If that actor is the right right person for the role, it is the responsibility of the company to do everything they can to integrate and understand and accept and embrace that person's culture. And that by having diverse funding, uh, by diverse casting, um, diverse
1: funding, (laughs) we don't have that.
0: (laughs) You know, again, it's about empathy and understanding. Even Mm. just hearing that story, I have a a better sense of what the differences are. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. and that's yeah, maybe maybe it is a good thing for the. the state of empathy in people in the arts, that there, you know, are these kind of pressures. I don't know, there's, uh, yeah, uh, positive and negative. Do you know what I'm trying to say, though? I do,
1: I do. To close off the point that I was making is, like, in, in a National Indigenous Theatre Company, or for that matter, a National Indigenous Gallery, or a National Indigenous art institution of any kind
0: those practices would those be practices would
1: be in place and it would be the privileged old occasional whitey that comes in to be a collaborator that yeah. would have to fit around those it things And i think exactly. that's a really important thing to foster and so i'm like totally convinced we should a national Indigenous theater company now I think it's a really good idea
0: definitely i just can't do myself that like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or you to put, me. to put white people in of the marginalised.
1: Yeah. And not like in a mean way. No. But it's just, just in like, this is our cultural yeah, space. Yeah, this now. is our
0: cultural space, this is around the way that yeah, we want to run we, it. We need to
1: run it. Yeah. But I do think it's important that we continue to seek towards integration as well. Like, and not <coughs> integration in the kind of homogenising sense, not in that negative, you know, everyone become. I know mean, that gay people tried to do it for 30 years. Look where that, got us fucking like an out. Anyway. Um... Too many tangents? we you like to go on that one. <laughs> We're not going to go on that one. We'll do a queers episode later.
0: Sounds like you okay. a quiz episode. Oh, okay. Can we do a quiz episode? Sure. Where you yeah. say things like, "What's the difference between a duck and uh?"
1: No, no. Just what's the difference between <laughs> a duck?
0: Ah, yes, yes, yes.
1: Do you know the answer? There's a real answer. To that My, father My,
0: My father, father was, was a lemon. My father was purple. Your father is a lemon. No, what is the what's the difference mm-hmm. between a duck?
1: One of its legs is both the same. This is just a nonsense joke. Doesn't mean anything. Anyway.
0: Best joke. What's the difference between? A lobster with breast implants and an old bus stop.
1: One's a busty crustacean, and one's a crusty bus station. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite good. It's quite good.
0: Favorite jokes. Um, I
1: think we do need to head towards. Oh, I'm really so good coming is... back from these tangents. You, you do knows that? Uh, you are. That's I'm quite why good. it's
0: called too many tangents. The... I feel scared and overwhelmed talking about this. I feel like I'm completely unqualified and that I shouldn't be talking about these things and that I'm putting my foot in my mouth and that anyone could comment on this and be like, you're ignorant, you're this, you're that, you're not understanding stuff. And actually, that has really stopped me from being able to to investigate more and to find more empathy and understanding. I feel really nervous talking about race and integration because I'm in a privileged position and because... Uh, no I don't I don't feel good about this like it's scary to have an opinion when you're the when you're in the most one of the more privileged positions
1: yeah I think that's absolutely true but what makes you scared of that are you scared of being ignorant are you scared of being schooled are you scared of being attacked for your ignorance
0: I'm scared of being misconstrued I'm scared of accidentally because of my ignorance saying something which is really insensitive and wrong i'm scared of saying something wrong so i don't enter into these discussions and i i feel particularly nervous about posting us talking about it online
1: yeah (laughs) because it's
0: not it is
1: so can can i i I think i know what you i think i know where you're at and i want to do two things i want to a say i think i can say for both of us our opinions on this subject do not matter one hoot Oh, no. Like, no one should give a fuck. We answered the question because it was a question asked, and we like having conversations about things just to broaden our thoughts a little bit. So don't listen to us. Well, Tell yeah. us we're wrong. And you in know. having
0: this conversation, also, you know, it's that thing of speaking to think as much as speaking to say a thing, because I don't know what I think about these things. So these yeah. discussions, for me, are, you know, a learning process.
1: That's one thing. And I think also, you know, invitation is really open We if we keep doing this podcast thing, which... know we've we've had fun for the last hour and 27 minutes of recording time it's going to be shorter like when you get to this point it'll be like an hour we hope i think anyway hopefully we can have lots of different guests that you know open up our opinions and our ideas about this and we can have those conversations with them and feature those voices but i do have a question about and this is going to get me in trouble with my lefty friends which is all my friends (laughs) i have a question about a psychological and intellectual, I hate to use this word because it's such a right-wing buzzword at the moment, chilling effect on the conversation, like what, what you're describing is being scared, scared of being misconstrued by others, scared of saying something really offensive, and for a, a person as well-intentioned as I know you are, and as keen to please and to be correct and open-minded and respectful in all you do, I wonder if a person like you feels like you can't ask the questions, you can't have an opinion such that it opens up a conversation, if perhaps in some quarters from a few people some of the excesses of this conversation around political correctness may indeed as the right and some of those weirdos on the radical centre have suggested that it may indeed have gone a little bit too far. Like I think you should be able to (laughs) say I don't know very much but I sort of think this and I'd love to hear more Yeah. and not be scared that you're going to be, Yeah. I mean maybe that's just you internally too, it could be that but I have had this question for a while about some of these things
0: no i think i that's exactly it this like over political correctness thing like there's all these words thrown around in some of these conversations and i go oh no i haven't heard that one before i'm not 100 percent sure what that means you know am i allowed to call people white or do i have to say anglo and am i allowed to say black or do i have to say indigenous or that's just a very very surface level <laughs> of you know so many,
1: terms. so
0: many so many terms and the implications of all of those terms it's like you've got to spend like seven lifetimes studying history and be an expert in all of the different areas because you can't be yeah look i feel a bit yeah. like i sound like kyle sanderland's <laughs> You know, you I, never
1: <laughs> out of context you would. But I think, you know, like don't take sound bites and quotes out of context. We're not famous enough for that shit, please. Guys. <laughs> Come on. I'm scared. <laughs> but no, I think I think in context. Wait a
0: minute, are Kyle things Sanderlands, Sanderland's things out of context? Is he actually a nice guy? Actually, I don't know why I'm insulting Kyle Sandilands. I don't even know anything about him. See? Even the people that I want to insult, I don't know anything about. I know nothing.
1: <laughs> nothing. I'm
0: feeling nothing. nothing. Anyway. I ain't got nothing, I don't give a damn. Okay. Other songs with the word nothing we're, in we're it? We're not
1: doing that nothing Nothing fit. missing no.
0: in my life. You're man. not going to cut this. Why, Why do these tears come at night?
1: Stop it. Okay. Look, we went deep on that. We went like tangenty and
0: deep. tangent and
1: Almost politics and away from the arts entirely, which...
0: Is what should have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. We're pausing here. We're going to listen to the And we're back. Uh, Excuse
0: me. (laughs) That was a badly timed burp.
1: You are a brute. (laughs) You are a brute, Eliza. Um, (laughs) We're back, but we didn't really listen to the next question because we got to the final two questions or three questions, which were all about the Me Too movement. And since we've been going for an hour and 32 recording time, which, as we say, will probably be about an hour once I trim, 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 uh maybe now <laughs> 10 Trim 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 Um yeah. I think we need a whole other episode. Basically too we're too. gonna
0: do a whole other episode on the Me Too movement because hashtag it's a lot.
1: Yeah. In fact we might have to do a whole series, but not too many <laughs> because it's gonna get exhausting. No, but there's a lot the to talk about.
0: There's too much to talk about when it comes to Me Too, so we're gonna do it another time.
1: Yeah, and we went pretty deep on like culture then, so we, I feel like we've had our deep dive yeah for this episode so, so uh,
0: for the end of the podcast charlie's going to recite a poem for you
1: i only know one poem off my heart well, and it's shakespeare then, oh, that's so a, i better that's, do that's, it that's that's yeah. convenient off yeah. you go cool. appropriate yeah so uh, before we, we do post amble is post amble a word
0: post amble it is now yeah it sounds like are a post amble it sounds like a like letter that you're sending to a person called amber
1: or a letter that just walks quite slowly and leisurely down the street <laughs> are we doing the post amble before the poem or after the poem is the poem the very last thing
0: i don't know you're editing it
1: oh okay well the postamble is that was the first episode of this House of Sand podcast um i have to apologize if you got this far you know this but the audio is going to be shocking i'm just learning I'm just figuring it out as i go along but we thought we should just start and see where we get to yeah and if you like it please we're going to post it on our website but we're also going to uh, submit it to itunes and hopefully that'll come back soon so if you like it, please rate it and listen to it and tell your friends and, and tell share your friends. it. friends. And we will make some more and they'll slowly get better audio quality. We'll maybe not ramble quite so much. We probably will. We'll probably ramble heaps.
0: Too many tangents.
1: But yeah, we'll start spreading the word. All right, this is Too Many Tangents, the House of Sand podcast. We haven't checked if that's an available podcast title on iTunes, by the way. We should find that we, out. We should find that out. We might have to try. All right. Um, so here's my Shakespeare recitation. It's the only poem I know by heart. It uh, goes like this. A woman's face, with nature's own hand painted, Hast thou the master-mistress of thy passion. A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted With shifting change, as is false woman's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, Gilding the object, whereupon it gazeth, A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, Who steals men's eyes, and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, Till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a doting, And by addition, me of thee defeated, by adding one thing, to my purpose, nothing. But since she pricked thee out for woman's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. Before we start, do you want to know what it means?
0: Yes, I have no idea what any of that means.
1: Yeah, cool, because it's Shakespeare, it's like middle English. It basically means, I think you're super hot, but you're a dude, and I'm also a dude and you are like as pretty as a woman and like have all the good things that women have but also you have a penis made for pleasuring a woman so I have to just like sit here and lust after you while you get to have sex with all the lucky women
0: Wow, and now why that's the only poem you know is completely explained
1: Yeah, that's literally mm. what it means though mm. Isn't that cool Shakespeare that's wrote a cool. big old gay poem, he actually wrote like 127 gay poems
0: Next week you can hear a poem from me
1: yeah, that's good, you know, heaps of poems. There
0: once was a lady from Ealing who had a peculiar feeling, so she lay on her back and opened her crack and pissed all over the ceiling. Absolutely. I once told that, that joke to my grandparents when I was about seven, and there was like a hushed silence for, all oh, the whole car trip, and they like me least of all the grandchildren. No, they don't. <laughs> they like you heaps. In that moment.
1: Well, yeah, all
0: right.
1: <laughs> by the way, I think that was this week. But also, by the way, um, we're probably not going to do one of these every week.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably
1: like Fortnite or something.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. Good. This All was right. the first House of Sam podcast. Love you, Internet. Bye. Bye.
1: Are we going to do, do RuPaul sign off? Nah.
0: Love you, Internet. Bye. Too many tangents.
1: That's our theme song now. Uh,
0: no, wait. I'm not going to. I still have a giant crush on Tony Jones and I think he's a genius.